joint military drills between China and Russia. It's the first of its kind since Moscow invaded Ukraine, and other nations are joining in. China pushes back on praise. That's from Russia, complimenting Chinese drones on their supposed military prowess. Taiwan vows to defend itself 24-7. The island's president thanks troops for their service amid indescribable pressure from Beijing. Trade talks are coming this fall, Washington and Taipei working out a new agreement, a move that could reduce Taiwan's economic dependence on China. And the British Parliament gets a new TikTok account. Lawmakers are pushing back. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. China will take part in joint military exercises led by Russia. The Vostok exercises start at the end of this month and will span one week. India, Belarus, Mongolia, Tajikistan and other countries will also join in. Last year, Russia and China held at least two joint military exercises. One of them was held in north-central China and involved more than 10,000 troops. The other one was the first drill of its kind in the Sea of Japan. South Korea complained that Chinese and Russian warplanes intruded into South Korea's air defense identification zone at the time. The next month, South Korea's military said it had scrambled fighter jets after two Chinese and seven Russian warplanes intruded into its air defense identification zone. That was during what Beijing called regular training. The world's largest consumer drone maker is pushing back on praise from Russia. Let's take a look at why the Chinese company is refusing the compliment. The Chinese drone maker recently made a fuss over some compliments it received. DJI Technology Company is the world's largest maker of consumer drones. Last week, the Russian embassy in China praised the company on Chinese social media platform Weibo, calling the Chinese drones a true symbol of modern warfare, saying that they completely solved all the issues of artillery reconnaissance, target correction, and fire adjustment. The comment could indirectly imply that the Chinese company was involved in the Russian conflict. DJI jumped to respond the next day, emphasizing that all DJI products are designed for civilian purposes and cannot meet the requirements of military specifications, and that the company does not support applications for military purposes. The Russian embassy deleted its post, but it was actually citing a report from state media about a new book by Army General Yuri Bayevsky, the former chief of the general staff of the armed forces of the Russian Federation. In the book, the general said that the Chinese commercial drones have brought a real revolution to traditional artillery weapons. DJI is already on the U.S. trade blacklist. It was added last December for allegedly helping survey Muslim minorities in Xinjiang. Fishermen from southern China are rejoicing. Authorities there tried to extend a yearly fishing ban because of health concerns. But locals, desperate to feed their families, took to the streets to protest. Here's more on what happened. Fishing season kicked off in the South China Sea on Tuesday, and hundreds of fishing vessels from China's southern Beihai city set sail. But getting the green light to start casting was met with resistance. A fishing ban normally stays in place outside of the fishing season and gets lifted at the start of fishing season. But before the start of this year's season, the city had been under lockdown for over a month. 
During a Monday press conference, authorities there said the pandemic situation was still a cause for concern. And because of it, they announced the decision to lift the fishing ban a month later than normal. But that order didn't hold up. Just two days after the press conference, local authorities declared the removal of COVID-19-driven lockdowns. Local residents attributed the positive change to a large-scale protest held just a day before. Videos circulating online show that residents broke through barriers encircling the lockdown zone and gathered in the streets to protest. NTD interviewed some eyewitnesses to get their take. To protect their identities, we distorted their voices. Around two to three hundred people here rely on fishing to feed their families. They ordered us to postpone fishing for a month, and everyone fought against it. The authorities could do nothing but reopen the city at midnight. I heard from a group chat that the district officials had an emergency meeting and then sent people to dismantle all lockdown facilities. Now it's all open. There was nothing the authorities could do but to reopen. Now people can go back to work. Many locals say they were encouraged by the outcome. Next, a look at some unusual weather patterns happening in China. At least 17 people killed and 17 others missing after a flood in the country's west. That's according to Chinese state media. A sudden rainstorm triggered a landslide, which diverted a river and caused flash flooding in populated areas. The official number of casualties may not reflect the real total, given that the Chinese regime has a record of downplaying and underreporting disaster events. The state broadcaster said the incident affected more than 6,000 people in six villages in Qinghai province. Emergency authorities described the flash flooding as a mountain torrent. China is facing heavy rains and flooding in some parts of the country this summer and intense heat and drought in other regions. State media have described the prolonged heat and drought as the worst since record-keeping started 60 years ago. Taiwan's Air Force put on a military display Thursday, showcasing its anti-aircraft capabilities. Officials say they are ready for action 24-7 and will protect the democratically governed island. The event comes amid sustained pressure from Chinese military drills in the ocean surrounding Taiwan. Here's more. Taiwan's Air Force displayed its anti-aircraft capabilities on Thursday, saying they were ready for action 24 hours a day. The democratically governed island is facing growing pressure from Chinese military drills. China, which claims Taiwan as its territory, has carried out military exercises around the island this month. After a visit by U.S. House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi and five U.S. lawmakers led by Senator Ed Markey on Sunday and Monday, Pelosi's visit infuriated China, which responded with test launches of ballistic missiles over Taipei for the first time and sent warships and fighter jets close to the island. On a government-organized media trip to Taiwan's crucial airbase in Hualien, the Air Force showed off its anti-aircraft systems. Taiwanese air defense officer... Chen Tehuan said the increased tensions did not phase them. We were not nervous at all at that time, as our regular training is prepared for all-day, 24-hour missile operations. When the Chinese military acted, we were already well prepared. Our soldiers followed the SOP, which is our troop training program, as per normal. So actually, we were not nervous at all. We were just excited to finish our mission. There have been no clashes between Taiwan's air force and Chinese fighters.
China has never renounced the use of force to bring Taiwan under its control. Taiwan's government says that because the People's Republic of China has never ruled the island, it has no right to claim it or decide its future, which can only be set by Taiwan's people. Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen addressed hundreds of the island's Navy service members this week, thanking them for their service, despite what she called indescribable pressure from the communist regime, and acknowledging that fulfilling their mission in the tight confines of a ship must have been difficult. She spoke during a visit to the Suao naval base on the island's northeastern coast. Here's more on what she had to say. In the face of China's harassment and provocation outside Taiwan's territorial waters, it is even more necessary to keep an eye on the dynamics of enemy ships all the time. In this period, everyone has shown firm and unwavering courage, responded calmly and showed solid and long-lasting results in the face of real threats, not only guarding maritime security but also maintaining regional peace and prosperity. For such a performance, I must give the highest affirmation and respect. Tsai has repeatedly emphasized that Taiwan will neither provoke nor escalate conflict during the crisis, and the island's defense ministry has stressed its calm response to Chinese military activity. Although the scale of China's military drills has dropped off significantly from earlier in the month, Taiwan continues to report Chinese fighters and warships operating around the island. The U.S. says it will begin trade talks with Taiwan in the fall. The plan is to strengthen economic ties between them as China gets more aggressive toward the island. And it is Colin Fredrickson has the details. America says that it'll start negotiating with Taiwan on a trade initiative this fall. It'll touch on things like agriculture, technology, and the significant distortions that can occur from the non-market practices of state-owned and state-controlled enterprises. It could be a response to the Pelosi visit and the overreaction of uh, Beijing in terms of the almost total blockade of the country, uh, Taiwan, you know, with the Navy ships. I mean, really, it's the PLA Navy uh, did a what looked like a dress rehearsal of a naval blockade. Anders Kaur is the publisher of the Journal of Political Risk and author of The Concentration of Power. Kaur hopes these talks aren't only symbolic, but that they'll also move the United States and Taiwan closer together. It is very symbolic. Riley Walters is a deputy director at the Hudson Institute. Walters says the trade investment framework negotiations with Taiwan already cover most of the recently announced topics. A lot of the stuff I think announced within this uh, trade negotiations is, is stuff we're already doing, really, with Taiwan. Um, you know, again, U.S. and Taiwan have been talking about trade for over 30 years now. He thinks offsetting the impact from state-owned enterprises, such as those from China, is something new they added. Even if it were just symbolic, it's important because Beijing needs to see that the United States stands with Taiwan. Gordon Chang is the author of The Coming Collapse of China. Chang says Washington perceives Taiwan as being endangered. Since the 1800s, we Americans have drawn our western defense perimeter, not off the coast of Hawaii, not off the coast of Guam, but off the coast of East Asia. And Taiwan sits in the middle of that critical perimeter. China is against the U.S. and Taiwan strengthening their ties. It urges the U.S. to immediately stop any form of official interaction and contact with the island. Alan Fredrickson, NTD News. Taiwan's trade reliance on China has become a concern around the world. Last year, nearly half of Taiwan's total exports went to China, including Hong Kong. While the portion that went to the U.S. accounted for far less 14 percent. 
Considering China uses trade to exert political pressure, closer trade ties with the U.S. could help Taiwan if it were to face such coercion from Beijing. The British Parliament is expanding its social media presence and recently opened an official TikTok account. But the move is getting pushback from lawmakers. Several senior conservative politicians signed a joint letter to the speakers of the House of Commons and the House of Lords, equivalent to the House and Senate in the U.S. They demanded that Parliament take down the newly created TikTok account over fears that the platform transfers data to China. According to Political, those calling for the account's removal include the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee, a former conservative leader and vice chair of the 1922 committee. They were sanctioned by the Chinese regime for criticizing its human rights abuses. The lawmakers pointed out that under China's national intelligence law passed in 2017, companies in China are required to yield data to authorities upon request. They also expressed doubt over a TikTok executive's reassurances to parliament in 2021 that its user data isn't shared with China. Cracking down on Chinese-owned companies like TikTok is one of Foreign Secretary Liz Truss's campaign promises. She is one of two vying for UK prime minister. Coming up, stuck in the middle of growing tensions between the U.S. and China, South Korea has a decision to make. On one side, its biggest trade partner. On the other, its biggest ally in the free world. More on that in just a minute, here on China In Focus. Welcome back to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. To join or not to join? That is the tough decision South Korea is facing over the U.S.-led Chip 4 alliance. Amid growing tensions between the U.S. and China, joining runs the risk of alienating South Korea's biggest trading partner, China. Here's why. As rivalry deepens between Beijing and Washington, South Korea is faced with a tough choice. Side with key trade partner China or strategic ally America. Remaining neutral is getting harder and harder. Seoul is expected to choose whether to join the U.S.-led Chip 4 Semiconductor Alliance. South Korean officials said Thursday that they will attend a preliminary meeting for the alliance. One of the goals of the coalition between the U.S., Japan, Taiwan and South Korea would be to counter China. But South Korea doesn't want and can't afford to sever ties with Beijing. The current South Korean government wants to maintain normal relations with China. By that, I mean China should not pose a threat to the sovereignty of South Korea in diplomatic relations between the two countries, but should respect each other. China is South Korea's biggest trading partner. Beijing also has the biggest leverage on North Korea, a leverage critically important to South Korea's national security. Earlier this month, South Korean and Chinese diplomats pledged to develop closer ties and maintain cooperation. Back to the Chip 4, Seoul is expected to join the arrangement, though it's deliberately calling it a semiconductor supply chain consultative body instead of an alliance. South Korea has no choice because the Chip 4 alliance is not about restricting China and cooperating with the U.S. It's about the survival of South Korea's semiconductor industry. So the only path South Korea can take is to join Chip 4. The world is experiencing a shortage of semiconductor chips, which function as the brains for smartphones, computers, and even fighter jets. In other words, modern life is dependent on chips. 
The Chinese regime calls it Xinjiang, the Uyghurs East Turkestan. We sat down with a prime minister in exile to find out more on what's happening to the Uyghurs and other ethnic minorities in the place that many call home. Prime Minister Solehu Dayar, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. So recently, I mean, the U.S. passed the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, and now there seems to be more coverage on exactly what's happening. The U.N. just came out with a special report, basically noting the crimes against humanity that's happening there. So what can you tell us about what's really happening? Yes, the U.N. uh, special reporter uh, on uh, enslavement uh, and uh, contemporary slavery published a report uh, highlighting the fact that the Chinese government is indeed using Uyghurs, Kazakhs, Kyrgyz, and other Turkic peoples in East Turkestan as uh, forced labor. Uh, and some of the, uh, the things that they are subjecting to them uh, may attribute, uh, may, may be uh, considered as uh, enslavement, uh, which is indeed a crime against humanity. Um, since 2014, the CCP uh, under the leadership of Xi Jinping, has launched the so-called People's War in East Turkestan, targeting Uyghurs and other Turkic peoples, uh, putting them up into what the Chinese government calls re-education camps, what are essentially concentration camps. Um, according to the Chinese government, 1.29 million people per year from 2014 up until uh, 2020, this is when they released a report white paper uh, were sent to these so-called vocational training and re-education centers and forced to work in, you know, uh, agricultural and manufacturing uh, factories, as noted in the uh, UN report. And it seems there's another report, right, from the UN High Commissioner Bachelet that's been long awaited, kind of Xi Jinping let her go to China. And so what would you be hoping that would be in this report? Well, uh, we're hoping that this uh, long-awaited report will focus on the fact that, you know, what the Chinese uh, Communist Party and the People's Republic of China is doing is indeed genocide and crimes against humanity, uh, as recognized by the United States government and the parliaments of uh, various uh, European countries, including the uh, EU parliament most recently. And it seems like what the Chinese Communist Party is doing to ethnic minorities like the Uyghurs doesn't just stay inside China or the Xinjiang Autonomous Region. It seems uh, Senator Marco Rubio pointed out in the U.S. human trafficking report that there's even, you know, stories about them coming overseas to America to harass them. So what can you tell us about that? Absolutely. I mean, the the Chinese Communist Party, uh, they don't just view the Uyghurs as a threat. They view anyone that they seem uh, is different, uh, and uh, like the Falun Gong, like the Tibetans and others as a threat. And they target them both inside the uh, territories that uh, the PRC and the CCP controls and outside here in the United States. So, you know, you see uh, Falun Gong members, you see Uyghurs and others being harassed by uh, Chinese agents and assets uh, all across the world. Uh, we're hoping that the U.S. government and other governments will, you know, take more, uh, you know, stronger actions and push back against China's, uh, you know, uh, operations targeting uh, dissidents and other, uh, you know, uh, people that are, uh, you know, that the Chinese government views as a threat to them. 
And then I guess given the current, say, all this genocide that the U.S. and other countries call that's happening in these concentration camps, what can the U.S. and other allies do to help? Well, one, the United States needs to raise the uh, issue, bring it to the agenda of the U.N. Security Council. We need to do more than just, you know, applying low-level sanctions. We need to sanction senior uh, CCP officials, including Xi Jinping, who is essentially the architect or the mastermind uh, of this uh, policy. Uh, we need to, you know, cut ties, diplomatic and political ties with China. We need to ban all products. It's not just products coming out of East Turkestan, but all products that are made in China from coming into the United States. While the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act is a great step forward, uh, it's still not strong enough because there are other people, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like Falun Gongs, like Tibetans and others that are also being used as uh, slave labor or forced labor to produce products that are then shipped into the United States. And ultimately, uh, you know, those the proceeds from those products are used to boost the CCP's control uh, over those areas and peoples. And so kind of looking into the future, if the Chinese Communist Party were to fall and say China becomes democratic, how do you see East Turkestan playing in? Would they vote to join it maybe if there was like a United States of China or would they want to be independent? I think uh, given the fact that we were historically an independent nation and especially given the current situation in East Turkestan, uh, the majority of our diaspora and majority of the people in East Turkestan would be uh, voting in favor of independence. And Prime Minister, any last words you'd like to add? I think the international community needs to act, uh, you know, much more quickly because the longer that we fail to act against the CCP, the stronger that they get and the bigger that, uh, you know, the problem of uh, pushing back against them and, you know, um, holding them accountable will be for, you know, all of humanity. Well, Prime Minister Hudayar, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. The 2022 NTD 8th International Chinese Vocal Competition will be held from September 29th to October 2nd at the Merkin Hall of Kaufman Music Center in New York City. The competition is honored to have specially invited vocalists with the world-renowned Shen Yun Performing Arts to serve on its panel of judges. The gold award is $10,000. For more information, please visit vocal.ntdtv.com.